The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations China podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo. Good afternoon. With me, Huang Yiping, who is one of China's outstanding economists and is visiting the United States as part of the National Committee's economic dialogue in our program at the New York Stock Exchange. Let me start off by asking him, what's your view of China's economy in 2015, and what do you think are the upside and downside risks? My own sense, my, my, my main sense is that the economy is still under downward pressure in terms of growth. So um, the government already it probably will put down the growth target to around 7% from 7.5% previously. But what we have seen for the past year was whenever the government uh, um, eases on the, on, 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 on the, uh, the, the, the mini-stimulus policy, the growth actually slowed. And I think this is still happening. So what we likely to see this year is growth, growth probably will go down a bit further from uh, uh, a little bit above 7% last year. But the government will still take a further many stimulus measures. My best guess is growth will probably end up with a number slightly below 7%. So for the year, below 7%. Right. And with the urbanization policies that are going on, do you see a pickup then in 2016, 2017, or further deceleration as we've seen for, is it 19 quarters in a row? I, I think uh, the uh, growth has not bottomed yet. Um, it probably could pick up if all the reforms are implemented. Then we're going to see efficiency gains um, and faster productivity growth. So IMF actually had a very good illustrative estimate. So if all the reform measures um, decided by the third premium of the 18th Party Congress rigorously implemented, the growth will drop immediately by 0.3 percentage points. But in a few years, by 2020, growth actually could pick up by more than two percentage points, which mm-hmm. means resources will be much more efficiently used and TF productivity growth can be faster. However, I think... How does that work in practice, that you get a drop temporarily? Well, and so... Then, like, talk about a specific sector. So, just for example, if we want to liberalize interest rate, that means we are going to price the capital slightly differently and there will be reallocation of capital. A typical example is capital will have to be reallocated from SOEs with lots of excess capacity to the non-SOEs, the private sector, and so on. So that reallocation itself is uh, positive for efficiency. Um, but So that is why when a lot of capital currently occupied by the state sector is, is to be used by the private sector, then they'll become more productive, which means growth can actually be stronger. Mm-hmm. The adjustment cost can be negative because SOEs can be closed down, but the private sector will take time to respond. 
So this is why the short-term impact and the longer-term impact could be in opposite direction. So the, the reallocation of capital <coughs> may <coughs> cause some state-owned enterprises to be closed down. Well, you have to close down with, uh, the, with the, 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 the companies with lots of excess capacity. Mm-hmm. So what sectors do you think are most at risk, and what sectors do you expect to see growth in? At the moment, the, the sectors are, are really suffering lots of overcapacity problem, really investment goods. So steel, um, aluminum, copper, cement, building materials, and so on. All the industries that were built in the past to support very strong investment activities, now they're suffering because the economy is slowing and the investment is slowing. But there are some other activity sectors uh, that can become stronger. One area we are seeing very strongly is the, um, the service sector. The, inter- the online sales, uh, sale, um, internet uh, finance, fast delivery, um, and some manufacturing industries producing like very cheap mobile phones, large machinery equipment, electrical machineries, and building machinery, uh, construction machineries, and so on. There are areas we're going to see further um, expansion, but uh, readjustment could be costly. Do you see as part of the reforms, the breaking of some of the monopolies that exist in China today? I think that's the plan. The only question is how quickly it will happen. So the government already launched uh, a round of investigation in uh, specific areas, although that to some extent caused the anxieties among foreign investors whether that's specifically targeted to foreign companies. My own assessment is this is actually targeted at everybody, um, which uh, 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 exercises some monopoly control. You mean the anti-monopoly, the, anti- uh, the yeah. implementation of the anti-monopoly sure. law that yeah. many foreign investors have felt has been unfairly directed at them? There are a lot more Chinese companies actually targeted at. The only trouble is the authorities do not do a very good job in uh, disclosing the information. So we heard more stories about the cases for foreign companies, but in fact there are a lot more domestic companies. We also heard concern in our meetings with the U.S. government mm. about China's enforcement of the anti-monopoly law. Mm, true. Clearly U.S. businesses have come to the U.S. government and said this is a problem. I think that's understandable. Um, this is why I think the authorities do not do a good job in uh, making the information transparent. But there are a large number of assessment by independent analysts and other industrial uh, professionals. Um, they actually, the, the, the conclusion is, is, is quite uh, universal. Uh, that is, uh, this is, is, is just a very wide-ranging um, action, not uh, targeted specifically at a certain group of companies. How are you and the Chinese government looking at this extraordinary drop in energy prices? So what does that mean for your forecast of GDP growth going forward? And is the Chinese government thinking about it the same way as you are? I think so. Um, uh, the China now is a main major importer of energy. Drop of the energy price, um, very rapid drop of energy price, should be beneficial to the Chinese economy. And there are a range of estimates around 
to look at. For instance, uh, some studies suggest if oil price drop by twenty dollars per barrel, um, the Chinese GDP can actually rise by between zero. Point two to zero point five percentage point, quite depending depending on which studies you look at. But I think I mean the numbers we can debate, but the, the positive effect is very clear. Right. It reduces your energy cost. Right, but and that's quite a different. That would mean, given we've had about a sixty dollar drop, that means mm. GDP forecasts would, could change from a point six to a one point five percent difference. Huge difference. Yeah, yeah. I think that that is certainly would be a, a big stimulus. Mm-hmm. Any thought of imposing a uh, an energy tax to take advantage of this low price and use it to kind of change the mix of energy in China? Well, it's already happening, as you you probably noticed when they um, adjusted down the gasoline prices. They immediately uh, put up uh, um, the tax on energy. Um, that caused lots of anxieties among domestic consumers. But the government explanation is we need uh, energy conservation and we need to use energy more efficiently so that taxes will be useful. I think this probably will continue to, to play a role. The overall situation in the past was the government intervention in energy market. Uh, kept the domestic energy costs relatively low um, compared to the international levels. So I think there still is room for um, adjustment. Um, so, so in principle, I'm supportive of um, levy tax on energy, um, especially if that can be used later on as a source of local finance, local budget uh, revenue. But uh, um, we have to be very careful whenever um, the government introduces a bi- uh, unilateral the taxes on, uh, on specific sectors. Any chance we're going to see a carbon tax? I guess not in the very near term. Um, in the long run, it's possible. Um, the government uh, looks uh, committed to um, climate change uh, uh, program, but I'm not sure if anything can happen. In we're the seeing some of these experimental carbon capture and sequestration zones mm. where you're going to establish some form of trading mechanism for this. Just experimenting, yes. Just an experiment. So mm. we're not, you know, because I think Chairman Xi, President Xi's mm. um, decision to work with President Obama yeah. on meeting climate change goals. Mm will require some additional effort by China. Well, I think the commitment is very clear uh, from the top, but obviously I'm not an expert on um, climate change. My only sense is that the direction is very clear, the commitment is very high from the very top, uh, but it probably will take some time to, uh, to, to work out an implementable scheme. The third plenum reforms are a very, very, very long list of reforms. How are these going to be sequenced going forward? The view from the United States about 2014, the first full year after the reforms were announced, was progress has been very spotty. Mm. So as we look at 2015, 2016, what should we be looking for in terms of the sequencing of those reforms? I think a couple of things to notice when we look at that very comprehensive reform program. 
Number one, um, 60 broad points written into the document. Not uh, everyone was based on broad consensus. So for instance, we know we needed to reform the land system. We needed to reform the SOEs. But there was actually no consensus about how to move ahead. So this is why after the third premium, they're still debating and deliberating about what is the right approach. That's the first point. The second point, um, I was not as negative as what you just mentioned. Progress was very spotty. Progress was probably slow, partly because the the big document, policy document, was only a broad guideline, uh, a blueprint. What the government needs to do now is to work out implementable schemes, plans for reform, and that will take some time, obviously. But you look at some of the uh, reforms, actually, it's happening very rapidly. So, for instance, you look at uh, the removal of government approval rights, um, and that happened from day one of this government still push ahead very quickly. Um, there are some progresses in terms of um, the uh, the household registration system. In the financial sector, reform has been controversial, but we have seen very steady progress. So, for instance, last year there were um, five private banks introduced. The interest rate liberalization is moving ahead. The, the Hong Kong um, Shanghai stock stock market connect connect and so on. These are all happening. Um, so we should be realistic about how quickly um, these, uh, these, these will happen. But I, I do expect in the coming years, these, uh, the, pr- the, the, the pace of liberalization of reform will accelerate. Last question. What are the downside risks this year that you would not kind of reach this, even the 7% goal? And is there a chance we'll be seeing deflation in China? Um, Deflation or not, I think depending on which indicator you look at. If we look at the CPI, it's running last year was 1.5%, so you can't really say deflation, but I think you could say disinflation. So inflation pressure is not an issue. But if you look at the manufacturing industry, the PPI has been negative for 34 months. That actually is very damaging for investor confidence. When price drop, you don't want to invest. So right. it's part of the of the problem. But overall, I do think uh, uh, deflation risk or disinflation risk is very high. The main reason is when you have industries with a large overcapacity problem, major overcapacity problem. So some estimate in the industrial sector, the average over excess capacity rate is around 35% then it's very difficult to expect the prices to rise. So I think it's a real risk. But as long as the economy doesn't really collapse, um, at this stage, um, in 2015, I don't think we'll see deflation. What will be the key risks going forward? I think the near-term risk probably come from two areas, and both related to financial risks. If the property sector, for instance, collapse again, um, we're going to see investment will drop um, and economic activities will slow. But obviously, if the property market weakens again, the government will step up efforts in supporting infrastructure spending and so on. So that is one risk, but it's probably secondary risk. The big risk, I think, for this year is when you push ahead with interest rate liberalization, 
then there could be problems in the financial market, particularly, for instance, local investment vehicles and the shadow bank businesses. Mm-hmm. If we start to see defaults this year, and if investors lose confidence, then liquidity can actually, you could actually easily see a liquidity trap. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to see default in order to um, enforce market discipline. But you don't want to see massive default because that could be very damaging to the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, striking a balance between the two will be very tough. What about external risks? External risks in terms of uh, um, exports, I think it's more limited now. The global economy is recovering very slowly, but is recovering. And uh, my own expectation is the U.S. economy probably will be steady um, at around 3% growth. Um, that should provide some support on the margin to the Chinese um, export. Um, so unless you see major collapses in external market like Russia or emerging market economies which are related to commodity or oil exports, we could actually see um, serious difficulties. But um, otherwise, it looks like uh, a very slow uh, recovery. Um, the economy um, should continue to expand. I want to thank Huang Yiping for being with us and giving us his views on the economy, the Chinese economy for 2015. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.